Now, as we think about church membership, uh, I said this last week, one of the things that we have to talk about is this word church. If you want to talk about what does it mean to be a church member, we need to know what the word church means. The New Testament writers, they use the word in four ways. Now, the most, uh, the first is the most basic, which would not be translated church, and it's not like in Acts 19, verse 30. It is a non-religious word, as many of the words in the New Testament are. They were just words that people used that means an assembly of people. Sometimes it meant uh, that like the town, people would come to the town square. Sometimes it's used of crowds who are in the midst of a riot, like in Acts 19. But this idea of just a basic sort of assembly of people. In reference to the body of Christ, then, we think about the word church as it's used in the New Testament. Three different ways. Number one, the universal group of Christians across time and space. This is everybody who is a Christian now, who has ever been a Christian, who will ever be a Christian, who are in the body of Christ. That word could be the church, right? The church wherever and whenever. The second way is the local congregations of, of people, uh, local congregation of Christians in a city. First Corinthians 1, we read, and we'll read it again in just a minute to the church of God that is in Corinth. That is the local group of Christians. But then he goes on to say, together with those who are in every place, call on the name of the Lord. So we have the universal body of Christians. We have the local congregation of Christians. And then the last way this word church is used is the assembly of Christians for a particular purpose. Uh, like today, we are... And people say this, right? Uh, you go to church. Well, that is, in some sense, a biblical idea that we are gathering together for a particular purpose. This, this particular case, it's worship on the first day of the week. But there were other times when the, the, the Christians gathered together and assembled to do different things. So when we consider church membership, we have to be clear about the way we are using the word church. As we discussed last week. Membership in the universal body of Christ, the overall church, is determined by him alone. Our submission to his truth and his will. Acts 2 verses 40 and 41 and then verse 47. With many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then verse 47. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who's doing the adding? Well, it's not the apostles. It's not the elders who don't exist yet. It's not the regular Christians. It's the Lord who is adding to their number. He's the one that adds. Because ultimately my salvation is a dependency on him and not some person. The apostles were teaching. They were baptizing. They were doing those things. But Peter was not saving anybody. Peter was not forgiving their sins. That was Jesus. He was the one doing that. And so when we think about this idea of they were added to that day, that was, again, the Lord adding them. So when we ask the question, two separate questions here, are you a member of the church? And are you a member of the Dewey Church of Christ? Those are not the same question. We have to make a distinction, a separation. Because one obviously can be a member of the universal church without being a member of the Dewey Church of Christ, right? We're a very localized situation here. It should be obvious, and maybe it isn't, but it should be obvious that church membership, again, I'm using those in quotes, we'll talk about that more, isn't determined by the attendance in the assembly. As we think about the third way that this word is used, so the first way, universal body of Christ, second way, the local congregation, third way is, the, again, the particular assembly, Attending, attending the assembly isn't 
indicative of church membership. When he says in 1 Corinthians 14, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit. I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. What is he saying? That, that he wants things to be understandable in the assembly. He's talking about the assembly in verse uh, chapter 14. Otherwise, if you could give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? Now, in the context here in 14, he's talking about speaking in tongues and the necessity of the ability to interpret the speaking in tongues. But his overall point is what? There should be some expectation that there's some outsiders in your assembly. And why is it so important that there be an ability to interpret the speaking in tongues? Why is it so important that people understand what you're saying is in part because of the outsider. The one who just shows up, doesn't understand what's going on. How can he say amen, that is, agree with what you're saying if he has no idea what's going on? There is an expectation, and I want to be very clear about this. We explicitly want non-members to attend worship. Right? We want that. I want that. Maybe you don't want that. But I want that. Uh, I think the elders definitely want that. And we should all want that. Right? And when we say non-members, what do we mean? Well, in any number of ways. I want people who are not a part of the universal body of Christ, I want them to attend worship so that they can learn how to become a part of the body of Christ. I'm also encouraged when people who are part of the body of Christ but are not members of this congregation, I'm also encouraged when they come. Maybe you're traveling through town. Maybe you're just visiting. Maybe you're visiting family. Maybe you're looking for a church home, whatever that is. We still want non-members to attend, right? I want that. It's encouraging to me. Maybe that's you today. If so, I really want to extend this welcome. We're glad you're here. We want you to be here. But ultimately, attending the assembly, I want to be clear about this, doesn't make you a member of either group, either the universal body of Christ nor does it automatically confer upon you local membership in the congregation. And so it's in this middle ground, the middle ground between the universal body of Christ and the gathering of a particular purpose that we have this foundation of our discussion. What does it mean to be a church member? The idea of the local church. In 1 Corinthians 1, we've already read, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Asosthenes. You can see the separation here to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, but they are called to be saints together with all those in every place, calling the name of the Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. So he's writing specifically to a local congregation, but he still wants to remind them, you're part of a bigger thing. You're part of this, this overall group. He says it again in 2 Corinthians 1. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to with all the saints who are in the whole of Archaea. Now, uh, Archaea is a region, so this is not the whole world, but the regional idea. But again, he's making the same distinction. Yeah, you're a group, you're a church of God in Corinth, but you are with other saints. There's other people who are part of this group. He says it to the Galatians this way. Galatians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, to uh, and all the brothers who are with me, to the, and here we have an interesting idea, the plural word churches. Usually, singular word, but to the churches of Galatia. Now, of course, we understand. We've read this already in Ephesians chapter 4. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's one body. There's one 
church. There's one global universal body of Christ. And yet, what is he saying here? To the churches of Galatia. The writing of the New Testament emphasizes this duality. The churches in different places were in some ways separate entities. They were separate entities that were written individual letters. You think about what the names of the letters are. Uh, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. What are those? Those are the names of the places, the churches that were being written to for a particular purpose. But even though they're separate in some ways, in some ways they're parts of a larger whole, which is why we read the book to the Thessalonians, because we're part of that group. Even though it was written to that congregation in that time and that place, it was intended that that be understood, not just by the Thessalonian church, but by the universal church, the body of Christ. In and so in referencing a region, he greets the churches of Galatia, even though I already read all this stuff. In Ephesians, he tells us there's one church. He also calls out the church of God in Corinth while reminding them that they are saints with all those in every place. So the question, there is this idea in Paul's writings, the rest of the New Testament, that churches are separate entities, the church in Corinth, the church in Thessalonica, the churches of Galatia. What does it mean then to be a member of a local group of God's people? We understand the universal body being a member of that. We also understand the idea of coming to an assembly, that, that third way the word church is used. And so we have that middle ground, the church in a particular place. What does it mean to be a part of that group? Well, I said this last week, this is going to be uh, sort of as we go through the series, some of the things we're going to talk about. Spheres of influence, some questions we need to ask. Who should I allow to be influential in my life? Who's the most influential in my life? And on the other hand, where should I be investing my ability to influence others? Okay, that's some questions we need to answer. Realms of responsibility. Who am I responsible for? For whom will I give an account to God when all is said and done? This applies to different people in different ways, depending on your, your situation. But at the end of the day, we do have to ask, who is God going to hold me to account for? Submission. Structures of submission. How does God intend all of this to be organized? There is some organization in the Bible about the church. Why does it matter? Who am I supposed to submit to? How is that supposed to work? And so while there is a sense in which these things apply to the universal church, these things do happen in the assembly, the most tangible and consistent application of these ideas, influence, responsibility, and submission, that's going to be most tangible in our interaction with the local congregation of which we are just one, right? We are a local congregation. There are other local congregations, though, right? There's a lot of local congregations. This begins with finding a group of people who are striving to understand God's word in the same way. I'm going to say something that seems very strong, but I stand by it. Almost all of the differences in any religious group come down to how the Bible is interpreted. I, I, I would even go so far as to say all, but there are, I guess, some cases where that's, that's not the case. Almost all differences between local congregations, not just of, you think about Churches of Christ, but any name you want to throw out there, any denomination, any group, almost all differences derive from how do we interpret the Bible? How are we supposed to understand it? What does it mean for us? How is it supposed to apply? How should it be read? 
And remember, one of the primary differences between our context and the context of the early church is the lack of denominations. In fact, a very large emphasis. If you read through the New Testament, so you have uh, uh, the Gospels, story of Jesus. You have Acts, the story of the early church. Then you have Romans through Revelation. As you go through that, one of the things that shows up in the latter half of the New Testament, the individual letters, First and Second Timothy, Titus, First and Second Peter, James, Jude, actually not so much James, but Jude, uh, First, Second, and Third John. One of the big emphasis points as you get to the latter half of the New Testament is warning against and how to deal with false teachers. Why is that? Why is that? If, if you're going through the New Testament, there's all these instructions for how to live and, and what to do and how to organize and what should we be teaching and what should we be doing, how should we worship, all these instructions. Great, great instructions. And then they start emphasizing more and more as time goes on, there's going to be false teaching, there's going to be wrong teaching, there's going to be teacher, people who are teaching incorrect things. How do we deal with that? What should we do about that? Being a member of the universal church is a matter of submitting to Christ and his will, but here's the question, what is his will? I know that I need to submit to Christ. What does that mean? How do I do that? How we answer this question, again, is the cause of most, the vast majority of differences between Christian groups. Because all are attempting to submit to Christ, right? All are attempting that. I should say not all, but most. Uh, and we again, we need to be gracious in our judgments of people. I do believe that... The vast majority of people who claim to... Now, there are some people who claim to be Christians who are doing it for selfish gain, right? We understand that. There's some people who are doing it because they, they want to make a lot of money, and they do. They make a lot of money. But by and large, for the most part, people are attempting to submit to Christ. But what? 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure. They will not put up with sound teaching. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. The time is coming. We, it's easy to sort of look at this and be like, oh yeah, all those people who are not listening to the truth. Might be us. Might be you and me. Who are not willing to endure, to put up with, sound teaching. The warning is for Timothy, who is in the job that I have, but it's not just for Timothy, it's for the whole church. Make sure that you continue to listen to sound teaching and make sure that you continue to do it, to, to preach it, to give it. That's what he's saying to Timothy here, right? We go on in 1 Timothy 6.3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions. He says it in this way to the Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. That seems like a stringent requirement and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Same mind and same judgment about what? Same mind and same judgment about what God wants. Isn't that what he's saying here? 
We understand above all, being a church member means submitting to Christ and his will, being added to the Lord by him. Everyone can agree on that. But the waters become murky very quickly. How is one added to the Lord? What is Christ's will for his church? The writers of the New Testament are very clear that the church, both ways, the universal body of Christ and the local congregation and the assembly, all the ways, should be of the same mind, have no divisions, and hold fast to a particular teaching. Isn't that what he says when he says all these verses, right? about the idea of sound doctrine. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, we need to be of the same mind and the same judgments. Thus, being, member, uh, being a church member, what does that mean? It means committing to and submitting to the word of God on its own terms. It means committing to both individually and as a group, discovering God's will, supporting the teaching of God's will, and shaping our lives around God's will. To strive to the best of our abilities. You're asking, what does it mean to be a church member? It means to strive both individually and together to the best of our ability to let God's word shape who we are. To understand it as it was intended to be understood. Everyone... And I say that I don't say this lightly. Everyone must make a decision about this in a couple of different ways. Number one, are you willing to submit to the truth of God's word? If you're not willing to submit to the truth of God's word as we discover it, whatever it may be, if you're not willing to make it just a general commitment that if I discover something in God's word that's contrary to my life, I'm going to change, you can't be a church member. Not of the universal body not of the local body. If you're not willing to commit to doing your best to discover God's truth, because we're all ignorant in some ways, right? Even me, I have ignorance, I have, I have imperfections. If you're not willing to commit to discovering to the best of your ability what God's truth is, you can't be a church member. Not of the universal body, not of the local. Being a church member means committing to a universal set of standards laid out in God's word. Now, <clears throat> we understand the process of discovering that, as we conclude. The process of discovering that is not a one-time thing, right? It's not like we suddenly wake up and then, oh, now I understand all the Bible. Why do we keep having worship every Sunday? Well, part of it's to worship God. Why do I preach? Because... We're trying to understand God's truth, right? Why do we have so many Bible classes? Why do we have a Sunday morning Bible class on Wednesday? Why do we do that? Because this idea, we're committing to trying to understand God's will for our lives. We're committing to trying to understand what God has to say to us. And we're all imperfect, we understand. We all make mistakes. We all have ignorance. Part of the reason it's important we do this as a local group, as a congregation, is that hopefully... As we do so together, you're going to correct me when I'm wrong. Please correct me when I'm wrong. And I'm going to correct you when you're wrong. Because the goal is to do his will. And I need you to accomplish that. You need me. We need each other. What does it mean to be a church member? It means to find a group of people who are striving to understand God's will 
not just for your benefit, but so that you can commit to participating in that journey, that you will help others understand God's will. I hope that that's what has happened today. We've tried to discover God's will together. We've tried to impart that to others in Bible class and worship. We're going to do so again tonight as we wrap up the story of Absalom. Weird story. If you're here today, you're not sure about what it means to be a Christian. I'm always happy to study more. If you have more questions, again, part of this journey that we're committing to together to discover God's will for each other and for our lives. If you're ready to commit, come while we stand and sing.